what is it that makes someone commit a crime welcome to revealed where i uncover sensational crimes and the stories of the people behind them as well as examine mysteries that baffle the mind hi i am your host sukrit and i thank you for joining me today let's begin perfectly roasted tandoori chicken succulent seekh kebabs melt in your mouth paneer tikkas soft buttery naans hmm when you think of a tandoor your mind conjures up all these delicious treats but in 1995 something happened in new delhi that changed the way the country reacted whenever someone spoke of this innocuous piece of restaurant equipment that was the year of the tandoor murder case part 1 love hurts born to a middle class family in january 1959 growing up in new delhi sushil sharma was an average student by most accounts but not long after he grew up he found something that appealed to him the murky complicated world of politics a little background first india has its fair share of student organizations and while some might be simple modest organizations there are quite a few others with strong political inclinations and those which are student wings that are established by the political parties themselves the national students union of india is one such organization established by the congress party and founded by the third prime minister of india mrs indira gandhi the national students union or nsui for short was created in 1971 to represent students rights and foster student activism the relationship between politically motivated youth student organizations and their patrons that is the political class has usually been quite a cozy one with opportunities galore for the ones who play their cards right the system has its advantages and has even created well established politicians like arun jetli ajay makan alka lamba anil jha and others who have all been a part of student politics in india so it isn't surprising to note that in the india of the 80s and 90s student political organizations and youth wings of political parties held a good amount of clout and were seen as breeding grounds for potential political leaders and party members however exposing these zealous and impassioned youngsters to the inner workings of power had its dark side as well stories of certain sections involvement in hooliganism and vandalism were all too familiar there was even an instance in the 80s when young union members allegedly stopped the train they were traveling in so they could take a leisurely dip in the narmada river before going home delaying the entire train by a few hours The NSUI and the antics of its reckless young members didn't go unnoticed even by their founder Prime Minister Mrs Indira Gandhi who in a speech publicly reprimanded them for their unruly behavior These student organizations had a sizable membership but Sushil Sharma wasn't just on the fringes of this political breeding ground Oh no he was in fact emerging to be one of the leading players at his level He was part of the National Student Union of India as well as a member of the Youth Congress. 
In spite of a few setbacks, within a few years, he managed to rise up within the ranks and become the president of the Youth Congress. Proof that the young man had found his calling. Advancing within the rungs of the Congress party, which was arguably amongst the strongest parties at that time in India, Sushil Sharma's life involved hobnobbing with people in the corridors of power and hanging out at some of the most high-profile hotels in New Delhi with his personal entourage of hangers-on. It was during this period that Sushil, along with a few others, invested in a barbecue restaurant called Bagia, located at the Ashok Yatri Nivas Hotel in the Connaught Place area of New Delhi, a location that had in its vicinity important state-run offices, national monuments and reputable business houses. It was also sometime during these years that Sharma had gotten himself the ultimate symbol of power, a licensed firearm. His weapon of choice? A .32 bore Arminius revolver. A rising star within India's leading political party and a business owner in an exciting new business. By the 1990s, life was going well for Sushil Sharma. Then there was Nena Sahani, the youngest child in her family, who by all accounts was a fiercely independent young woman. She knew what she wanted and wasn't scared to pursue it, whether that was in her personal or professional life. This made her an outlier, as Indian society in the 90s wasn't quite ready to accept a woman who lived unapologetically on her own terms. This, in spite of the country being led by a female Prime Minister. Sushil Sharma and Naina Sahani had met sometime in the 1980s. Both were part of the same political party. But they didn't get into an intimate relationship for the next few years. As a matter of fact, in the late 1980s, Nena Sahani was in a romantic relationship with Matloob Karim, another member of the Youth Congress. Sadly, love wasn't enough for Sahani and Karim, as theirs was an inter-religious relationship, something that was heavily looked down upon in those days. Sadly, the two lovers decided to end their romantic association as they couldn't get married. By 1989, Matloob Karim had gotten married to someone from his own religion, and by the 90s, Nena who had successfully got a commercial pilot's license, was active with the girls' wing of the Youth Congress. By then, Matloob was the organising secretary of the Youth Congress, Naina Sahani, the general secretary of the girls' wing, and Sushil Sharma, the president of the Youth Congress. With their professional lives charting an upward trajectory, eventually Sushil and Naina had begun a romantic relationship, which in 1992 culminated in marriage. Both Sushil and Nena were now living together in an apartment in the Goal Market area in the heart of New Delhi, not too far from Sushil's barbecue restaurant, Bagia. Now that Sushil had married Nena and they were living as husband and wife, Nena wanted their marriage to become public knowledge, something which Sushil wasn't in agreement with. You see, at the time of her relationship with Sushil, Nena had been forthcoming about her past and had told him about her earlier relationship with Matloob. Far from helping strengthen their relationship, this honesty would be the beginning of the end. It seems with time Sushil grew even more suspicious of Nana's fidelity and he believed that she was cheating on him. Allegations of ministers' cars dropping her back to their house to asking their house help to spy on her on his behalf just added to his paranoia about his wife and her chastity. In the misogynistic patriarchal society they lived in, Sushil would not have been able to live through the humiliation of his wife's alleged affairs. And this state of constant suspicion and jealousy probably convinced him that Nena was an adulteress. 
After all, in India those days, a woman was almost seen as a man's possession and was expected to be subservient to him. As a result of these doubts in his mind, Sushil didn't want to publicize their marriage, and this became a bone of contention for the couple. Apart from this, it was also alleged that Sushil was abusive towards her, with Nena fearing for her safety. There was even talk of Nena emigrating to Australia, leaving Sushil and her troubled marriage behind. But young Nena was in a predicament. She was stuck in a marriage which only she and her husband knew about. She couldn't say anything to her parents as she was estranged from them, and she couldn't go to the police since she felt that Sushil might use his connections to implicate her in a false case. She was trapped with no way out. So she reached out to the one person who she thought would be able to help her out of this mess, her ex-lover and close confidant, Matloob Karim. Part 2 The Discovery On the evening of 2nd July 1995, at around 8.15pm, Sushil walked into the Gold Market apartment where he and his wife Nana lived. Nana was home, talking to someone on their landline telephone. Sushil, constantly on alert regarding his wife's fidelity, asks who she is speaking to. And when she tells him it's her family, something tells Sushil to not take her word for it. When she leaves the room, a wary Sushil pushes redial on the telephone. And as soon as he hears the voice on the other end, his worst fears get confirmed. Nena had last called Matloob, her ex-boyfriend. Listening to his voice leads Sushil to assume the worst, that his wife of over three years is definitely still romantically involved with her ex. This woman who wanted Sushil to make his marriage with her public was still in touch with her previous lover and was lying to Sushil about it. This was an embarrassment that Sushil couldn't accept. A betrayal that he knew would ruin his image as the leader of the Youth Congress if it became public knowledge. A fierce argument follows, during which Sushil Sharma, boiling with rage, crosses the point of no return, using his licensed Arminius revolver to shoot his wife. Nana Sahani is shot by her husband with one bullet lodged in her neck and another in her head, killing her there and then. Nana, a trained pilot, successful political functionary and businesswoman is shot dead in her apartment. A bright young woman who hadn't even crossed the age of 30 and had her entire life ahead of her. The seriousness of his actions must have hit Sushil as soon as he saw Nena's lifeless, bullet-riddled, bleeding body slump down on their bed. That must have also been the time when he decided that this one little mistake cannot come in his way of achieving the grand ambitions he had for his life. If he was shrewd enough, he figured he could get away with what just happened in his apartment. So after quickly calming himself down, Sushil wraps Nena's dead body and drags it from their apartment into his Maruti car. At 9.30pm on a Sunday night in Delhi, all his neighbours were indoors with their families some eating dinner, others watching television or getting their kids ready for a school week. All of them absolutely unaware of what just transpired in one of the flats in their residential complex. Helped by this Sunday routine, no one in the apartment complex sees him as Sushil Sharma takes his wife's dead body wrapped in a sheet down the stairs from their apartment and loads it into his Maruti hatchback car. A difficult task for anyone to do alone which under any other circumstances would attract a lot of attention. 
After successfully loading Nana's body in his car, Sushil decides that the best way to get rid of the evidence and save himself is by disposing her body in the Yamuna River, approximately 10 kilometers from their residence. That way, no one can tie him directly to her death. On reaching the Yamuna Bridge, Sharma sees a huge traffic jam, uncharacteristic for a Sunday night, and this dashes his plans of disposing the body in the river. There are just too many people around, and he would definitely get caught if he does anything there. Suddenly an idea strikes him, and he thinks of his restaurant Bagia. As a barbecue restaurant, it had a tandoor, a large oven made of clay. With its size and burning capacity, it would be perfect. He could just fire up the tandoor at his restaurant and burn Nena's body inside it. So he turns around from the Yamuna Bridge and travels approximately another 10 kilometers back into the heart of Delhi to his restaurant Bagia, which is located just under 3 kilometers from the seat of India's democracy, the Indian Parliament. Reaching his restaurant at around 10:15 pm, Sushil, while parking his car, is seen by a security guard and the couple who perform as musicians at the restaurant. He knows that the people there would need to leave. Sushil summons Keshav Kumar, his restaurant manager, and explains the situation to him, telling him that he needs the tandoor oven to dispose of his dead wife's body and instructs Keshav Kumar to empty the restaurant of all people. To be able to waltz into your business and ask an employee to become an accessory to a gruesome murder plot shows the kind of sway Sharma had in making people go to such extremes for him. Tense with what lies ahead and probably impatient to finish the job, Sushil Sharma waits in his car while Keshav gets the staff, customers and everyone else to leave the premises in a hurry. The entire procedure of emptying the restaurant of all staff and customers takes Keshav over 30 minutes and it's nearly 11pm when he finally gives Sushil the all-clear to get the body inside the restaurant. The two men carry Nena's dead body into the restaurant and take it to the kitchen area next to the tandoor. Her body is placed inside the tandoor and a fire is burned, along with some pieces of wood and papers. Keshav is also told to get some butter to add to the fire, to make Nana's body burn faster. But just like in life, even in death, Nana didn't go away silently into the night. The flames resulting from the burning of her body in the tandoor start rising, soaring upwards towards the sky, burning with an uncontrollable ferocity. It's these very flames escalating menacingly that shock and scare the people around the Ashok Yatri Nivas Hotel. An old female vendor by the name of Anaro Devi, who works and lives outside the hotel, panics seeing the massive flames from inside the hotel premises and starts looking for help. At the same time, out on night patrol is Constable Abdul Nazir Kunju, along with home guard Chandarpal. By now, the flames have been rising considerably and a fearful Anaro Devi rushes towards Constable Kunju, screaming for help. Fire! Fire! The hotel is on fire! Standing outside and watching from behind the wall of Bagia restaurant, Constable Kunju sees the flames and thick smoke emanating from inside. Seeing the sheer scale of the fire, he realises immediately that something is out of order. He rushes to a nearby police post to alert his seniors on the wireless of a possible fire before returning to the restaurant and entering the premises to investigate. Once Constable Kunju manages to enter the restaurant, he finds manager Keshav Kumar putting pieces of wood into the tandoor oven, paying no heed to the size and scale of the fire, which is now burning dangerously out of control. When Kunju confronts him, 
Keshav tells him that he is a Congress party worker burning off some party banners and other old material. Why would someone be burning party banners inside a restaurant tandoor past 11 pm on a Sunday night? Why would something so small result in a blaze so fiery and huge? And what was that strange unpleasant smell filling the air? Constable Kunju has an uncanny feeling about it all and he figures something is amiss in the explanation being offered by Keshav and Sushil. So Kunju decides to investigate further. As he peeks into the tandoor to check whether the innocent claim of burning old party material was indeed true, he is met with a horrific sight: the half-roasted torso of a human being. Now a constable is in the lower rungs of the police hierarchy and might not even be armed. Stumbling upon a heinous crime like this late at night without much backup with two potential criminals right in front of him would have been an unpleasantly dangerous situation for the young constable to be in but kunju was a good cop he stood his ground and didn't let the fear engulf him his call for backup before entering the restaurant turned out to be a prudent act of due process and soon help arrived on the scene however in all the confusion sushil sharma managed to flee So as the police began their investigation at Bagia restaurant late on the night of 2nd July 1995 Sharma found refuge in the nearby Gujarat bhavan for the night safe at least for the time being part 3 the journey of justice as the police reached Bagia restaurant late at night on 2nd July 1995 they saw the body of Naina Sahani burning inside the restaurant's tandoor Her entire face including her ears nose and lips were charred her eyeballs destroyed her skull had developed cracks and her intestines had fallen out of her body due to the heat of the fire a majority of her body was already cooked and burnt beyond recognition the police acted swiftly they arrested restaurant manager keshav on site and started their search for sushil sharma who was present at the restaurant when the police had arrived initially but managed to escape in the commotion his car with blood stains was found abandoned at gujarat bhavan but he couldn't be traced the police went to the apartment in mandir marg gol market where sushil and naina used to live and where he had shot her since sushil had left in a hurry the apartment stood firmly as a witness to the crime between the bullet casings the blood stains and a bullet hole the police could easily deduce what transpired there on 2nd of july they also found a picture of naina and sushil as well as papers relating to the bagia restaurant now they knew the identity of the woman whose body was found burning in the tandoor and knew that she was linked intimately with sushil sharma who of course was still absconding Between the discoveries at the flat, the blood stains in the car, the interviews of accused Keshav as well as the neighbors of Sushil and Nena, the police were already on their way towards building a case against Sushil Sharma. Sushil on the 2nd of July after fleeing from his restaurant spent the night at Gujarat Bhavan in New Delhi and was on the move the very next day. At first he went to Jaipur after which he traveled to Tirupati, home to one of the most revered temples in India. He then went to Madras as Chennai was known back then. 
and he even managed to get anticipatory bail from the Madras High Court, something which enraged the Indian people. How could the court grant bail to someone accused of such a gruesome murder? In spite of all his efforts, Sushil was eventually arrested in Bangalore on the 10th of July 1995, eight days after Nena Sahani's body was discovered. Sushil was brought back to New Delhi and sent to police remand on the 12th of July 1995. The murder was already a media sensation. Its gory details shared with the nation through newspapers and cable TV. Cable television was relatively new and had come to India just around three years back, forever transforming the way the country consumed the news. The details of the case, especially the disposal of the body and the state in which it was found by the police, shocked the nation and soon after, everyone knew all about the case that was now and forever referred to as the Tandoor murder case. At first, Sushil denies his very presence at Bagia restaurant that night, even underplaying his relationship with Naina Sahani, all in an effort to distance himself from his actions. But the evidence against him is strong, and eventually he confesses to the murder of Naina Sahani and becomes an under-trial, arrested and put in jail, while the case carries on through the Indian court system. The case starts off in August 1995, soon after the Delhi police files their charge sheet. Thus begins the long, arduous journey in the court of law. A fight for justice with the prosecution fighting on behalf of the deceased Nena Sani versus the main accused. Through this time, people involved with the case talk about the tactics Sushil Sharma used to delay the case, as well as his efforts to influence the outcome of the trial in his favour. There's mention of how, in front of witnesses, he would menacingly put his hand on his kurta in a way that indicated a gun, so the witness would get scared. Then there's the startling confession of the star witness, Constable Abdul Nazir Kunju, who said that one day as they crossed paths, Sharma calmly offered him rupees 10 lakhs to change his statement. Nevertheless, the trial carries on languidly through the court system for eight years, and eventually, in November 2003, Sushil Sharma is given the death sentence and his restaurant manager, Keshav Kumar, seven years rigorous imprisonment. There is an appeal against the death sentence in the High Court, which in February of 2007 upholds the verdict. However, in October 2013, the Supreme Court of India, while upholding the conviction, commutes Sushil Sharma's death sentence to life imprisonment stating that his wasn't a crime against society and that he didn't have any criminal antecedents. Sharma spends a considerable time of his sentence in solitary confinement, locked up in New Delhi's Tihar Jail, one of South Asia's largest prison complexes. Solitary confinement, which involves a prisoner being locked alone in a small room except for one hour in a day, is a mentally challenging experience for anyone one that even led Sharma to think of committing suicide at a point. However, he accepts his fate and tries to make the best of the situation that he is in. While in jail, his days are spent praying, doing yoga and cleaning his own toilet. He also focuses on fighting his case, enrolls himself in the various educational courses available to inmates and starts teaching a computer course to fellow prisoners. His time alone enables him to reflect on his past life and actions 
which results in him writing stacks of notes on a wide variety of topics. One of those topics is very close to him. It's an idea for a diploma course aimed at couples who plan to get married so they can learn how to behave with each other, how to deal with two sets of parents, etc. In a right-to-information application in 2010, it was revealed that Vikas Yadav, the main accused in another high-profile murder case, went out of jail 66 times in two years using the excuse of a hospital visit. That right-to-information application also showed that in the same period, Sushil Sharma did not take any such undue advantage even once. When he entered prison in 1995, Sushil Sharma was 36 years old. And after spending 23 years in jail in 2018, at the age of nearly 60, he re-entered society after the remission of his life imprisonment sentence by an order of the Delhi High Court. The court credited his good behaviour while he was imprisoned as one of the reasons for their decision. From a comfortable life and a promising career in politics to serving one of the longest sentences in prison, the story of Sushil Sharma might come across as a straightforward tale of how something done in the heat of the moment can have devastating results. But it's deeper than that. This saga isn't about what happened in that apartment in the heat of the moment on Sunday, July 2nd, 1995. It's the tale of how politics and power mislead people into believing they're invincible, how Indian society encouraged alpha males in their aggressive behaviour, and it is also a tale of the dark past of Indian society and how we've misunderstood and ill-treated our women. Prologue Nena's parents actually never identified her body. And ironically, it was her ex-boyfriend Matlub Karim, who she spoke to on the phone the night she was killed, who eventually identified her burnt remains. The Tandoor murder case was one with multiple firsts. It became a landmark case for the use of DNA evidence. Unlike today, back then DNA evidence was not looked at as a reliable aspect in court cases. This was also the first case in Indian criminal history where a post-mortem was done twice. One of the most blood-curdling aspects of the case was the various mentions in the media about Nena's body being cut into pieces before being cooked in the tandoor. While a horrific act indeed, this wasn't ever conclusively proved. There are some cases that become part of a nation's history forever encapsulating a distinct moment of time in the country's political, societal and cultural journey. The Tandoor murder case is one such instance. It had all the elements that made it an instant sensation. Politics, power, a jealous lover and a crime committed in an extraordinarily bizarre style which was unheard of until then. But beyond this sensationalism, the case should be remembered as one where despite all the odds, the police force, public officials and court system managed to deliver justice. And as far as Sushil Sharma goes, the courts feel that he has done his time. 23 years in jail is not a small stretch by any measure. He went in in his 30s and came out when he was nearly 60. If his recent interviews and actions are anything to go by, then it seems like he not only repents what he did, but is also trying to harmoniously integrate back into society. Maybe it's his actions as a free man, which will finally be his redemption. Hey, 
I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. Don't be selfish. Share this podcast with your friends. You can also check out more content related to each episode on Instagram where I post pictures and videos of the cases I cover. You can find me on Instagram on @therevealedpodcast and write to me there in case you want to share some stories and new topics for the show. I shall be back with a new story next week. Stay safe. Always follow the law and once again Thank you for listening to Revealed.